I'm Coach Seb, and this is Running New Mexico. All right, joining me today, I have Lydia Jennings. She is a soil microbiologist, uh, grew up in Santa Fe, currently in Arizona. She has taken part in a lot of amazing things, uh, recently chaperoning with Wings of America at the Boston Marathon. She's going to be doing the Havelina 100 coming up at the end of October and so many other things. So uh, thank you for joining me today. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Um, and Los Inchinovo Nepolidia, just the introduction in my own language. I'm a citizen of the Pascual Yaqui tribe. And as was mentioned, I'm also a soil scientist, a researcher, and an avid runner in the kind of non-existent free time. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, how did you get into running? How did that kind of start? Yeah, I mean, I often like to say that um, my brother and I was really into dance when I was growing up. Um, and when I started high school, the summer before, my brother and sister kind of sat me down and were like, you need to run. Everyone in the family does it. We're good at it. And you should run. And I was like, running stupid. You know, I was, I was really into being a dancer. Um, but then I went to a boarding school and running was one of the only ways to get off campus. And so I picked, piqued my interest. And then once I started getting into it, I, I just fell in love. Um, and I got to see beautiful places and kind of bond with people. And it was, I love that it was, it was a team sport, but it was also very independently um, driven. And so you kind of got the best of both worlds with that particular sport. I always love hearing people like how they got into it because everybody's story is always so different. And there's very few people that are just like, oh, yeah, I, I knew I loved running. Like, they're definitely those people, but it's often like, oh, my friends did it, or this was a way to escape, or this. And so hearing everybody's stories is um, is fun. And so kind of hearing you're like, oh, I I get to do this if I run. So it's, it's fun to hear those stories. <laughs> what I think is powerful, too, is how the relationship with running changes throughout your life. So... I think a lot about when I was in high school and I just wanted to run as hard and fast as possible. Um, literally like sometimes till I like made myself sick, right? That's kind of the goal. Um, and then I ran in college as well. My first year I got injured and it was like me and running had a really big breakup. Um, but eventually after I finished my undergrad, I kind of came, well, much last couple of years of my undergrad, I kind of came back to it because of the boyfriend, my boyfriend at the time, he uh, was really into backpacking and starting to get into trail running. And so I picked up trail running and being like, I'm, I'm a runner anyways. I'm probably going to be faster than you. When we broke up, uh, I was like, I'm going to become a better trail runner and like longer distance trail runner than he is. And so it's really funny. Like I came back to that competitive part. And when I started grad school, I thought I wasn't going to race or run anymore. And I've actually like <laughs> gone further and longer, you know. And so it's just kind of interesting, these ebbs and flows that you have with this sport. But I often kind of mention just how it's one of my strongest relationships with myself running. Um, and often the times I don't think I have time for running is the times I need it the most, right? And yeah, yeah. it's just a beautiful cycle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it, it, an interesting thing you said there was when you kind of broke up with running and you, you had that break and then you said, well, I'm a runner anyway. Like, was there ever a point where you didn't consider yourself a running a runner, even when you weren't running? I mean, I think that like I was doing it, exploring other sports, and like that's where I really kind of took time to invest heavily in like my school and science research. But at the end of the day, like we all need ways to process emotions or stress, and I think it's really healthy that we have outlets and, and identities outside of running. Um, and outside of our work, right? And so for me, they've always kind of been running and, and research or science have always been kind of reciprocal with one another. Like some days I'll really suck as a scientist, but I'm like, well, I can, I'm still a runner. I still have these other things in my life. And sometimes I'm just like a rock star scientist and I, my running sucks. And like, I think the two of those 
parts of my identity really help keep me in balance. Um, but yeah, I think like more than any sport, I, I identify the most with being a runner, um, which I, which is good. I think it's good <laughs> to have those like multiple identities that you and things that you find value and importance in. Right. But not let it be like the only part of your identity too. Absolutely. I think that's something that's, you know, some people struggle with for sure. Like, Oh, I'm a runner or I'm a scientist or I'm a this or I'm a that like, and then it becomes your whole identity. If you don't have those, as you said, balances, it can be hard when things do suck. You don't have that other alternative to go to, whether it be, you know, the running or biking, cycling or what have you. (laughs) Yeah. And that's something I tell like my nieces and nephews um, when they are like playing sports Right. And, and just like youth now that I've begun to like mentor is like, it's really great that you're this awesome runner, this awesome, you know, athlete, but it's, it's really important that you develop those other parts of yourself because what happens when you get injured, you know, like, who are you going to be? Cause I know when I got injured, there definitely was like this identity crisis of like, what am I, if I'm not a runner? And I was so thankful that I had science in a way to like fall back on, but then actually now they kind of just support one another. And so that's, I think just so important is particularly in native communities. I think we really value athletes and like we have amazing basketball teams and running teams and a student's whole identity can be part, just like tied up into that. And then when they don't have that, there's this identity crisis and we just need to find multiple ways of supporting people. I completely agree with you. And we were talking a lot kind of beforehand and, and something that kind of came up and it's, it comes up a lot. Like, in, in some of Twitter's and Instagram posts is just like that representation of knowing that you can be multiple things, seeing someone who's out there doing ultra marathons and doing, you know, fast races or, you know, whatever it is that you're, that you feel that you identify with, but also doing those other things, you know, being a teacher, being a, a scientist, being, you know, whatever it is and, and knowing there's someone like me, in the professional world that can balance those two things. Yeah, definitely. You know, I, I uh, was recently reading a post by Magda Boulay, who, for those of you who don't know, is a, a fantastic runner, um, run Western States and Leadville and a variety of other big races. But she was talking a, a lot in her post about, you know, who, after you finish college, that she really had a big identity crisis of like, who am I if I'm not I'm not competing collegiately, and that's what she really where she really fell into ultra running. And I think even those kinds of conversations, like when I was in high school, I had no idea that there was a thing as ultra running or running those kinds of distances, and just like knowing that there are so many other options to bring in to integrate your passions and and identities uh, is so important. But for far too long with native communities you know, because of how media has depicted us, it's been very limited roles. Um, and I think increasingly like social media has been a great part of this, but also just in a variety of native creatives and journalists and scientists um, who are really like re-identifying and shaping what it means to be indigenous, but also what we're capable of <laughs> for the first time. And so I just see the, the youth today that are emerging and how freaking fantastic they are. And it makes me feel, so, I know everyone feels depressed because of the climate crisis future, but then I see some of these youth and I'm just like, man, we are in good hands. So <laughs> <laughs> I, it is, it can be so hard. I, I don't have to get into everything, but obviously there's been a lot of like depressing things going on this past, you know, few years and, and, sometimes it just feels like things kind of just are constantly like falling on top on top of us. Like, Oh my God, this is happening. And now this, and we have this bigger thing going on over top of it. But when you get a chance to work with kids and, and see like who's coming up, like, yes, you can be cynical and you can talk about you, you know, viral YouTube, this and that, and kids are, you know, doing this, but when you're there with, you know, one-on-one with a kid or a small group, like you really can see some of the hope and the passion and the things that they bring, which, which is, it, it just, it makes you hopeful. Yeah. I think that's one of the most blessed gifts about being an educator and working with that next generation and like seeing how they are incorporating things. And yeah, there are people who are 
too fixated on social media maybe, but also recognize how that is a tool for education, for transformation. Um, and I just really think like, yes, since 2016, we've been like adverse to any time our phone gives us a breaking news out update, right? But also like contrary to that is like more, more interest in being in natural spaces and in understanding ourselves and, and our environment in such a collaborative and inspiring way that I think any generation is going to have things that you can feel depressed about, but it's really like, how do you find and fixate on what you to be hopeful about and what you can change on a localized level? And I think working with youth is really part of the pathway to achieving that. And, you know, on that note, you got to be a chaperone with Wings of America, working with some kids going to Boston Marathon. So I guess first, for anybody who doesn't know, what is Wings of America? Yeah, Wings of America is a organization based out of Albuquerque, New Mexico, that's really centered around... um, what's the word I'm looking for around like coalition building through running. And so I'm building, I would say building future leaders through running. And so it's um, targeted for indigenous students indigenous youth rather. Um, and it has a series of workshops to kind of teach fundamentals of running, um, work with youth, youth coaches to then implement these, these workshops in their own communities. But it also has a team, a national team that competes every year at the high school level. Um, and then they have the program that I was participating in, which is the, Pers- the Wings of America Pursuit Program, which selects five high school juniors to travel out to Boston for and compete in the Boston Athletic Association's 5K, but also visit Boston area universities. And as you know, Boston has like something like 45 different universities in the area. Um, and the year that I chaperoned, all the students were from the Southwest, from either New Mexico or Arizona, most of the Navajo Nation, um, props up to Navajo Nation. <laughs> and uh, we got to, you know, travel out there. It was my first time in Boston. I also was co-chaperone with Verna um, Bilkner, who is the founder of Native Women Running. It was the 50th year of the Boston Marathon, um, or the 50th year that women ran the Boston Marathon. And so it was also kind of special to have two women runners that represent Wings of America. And when I say represent, that means that we were raising money for the Wings of America program, but also got to run in the Boston Marathon, uh, which is such a big honor. And But the, I think the coolest part of that was traveling to Boston with five kids who've never been there before and experience the city through their eyes and watch them just absolutely crush the 5k too. I think all of them placed in the top 10. Um, They were just amazing, amazing young talent. So excited. One of the students that we had with us, he, he was like, yeah, like when I compete back home, it's like me and four other people. So like to run with 10,000 people is just like so much fun. Um, and also just like sharing, you know, getting lost on the Boston Metro together um, was a super fun challenge. <laughs> um, and just like see that. And it was really cool because last year the Boston Marathon um, was held a little bit early in November, which happened to be an Indigenous Peoples Day. And so Wings of America has been working a lot with other tribes um, in the Boston area. And so there was this opportunity for us to actually go up and visit the Moshpe Wampanoag, which for those of you who aren't familiar, the Moshpe Wampanoag are the people who the pilgrims first came into contact with. Um, they're the ancestral stewards of the Boston area. And so we were invited to go out to their homelands um, in the Cape Cod area, kind of do a run with them, a little leg shakeout, um, learn about the history from their perspective of the Boston area. Um, and it was such a beautiful contrast to the days prior when we had gone and visited Harvard University and, you know, heard about history from Harvard's perspective and the ways that they are serving Native communities. But then here, the other side, from the actual Indigenous people of the area, it was such an interesting contrast. Um, And then be able to see the ocean there and get a blessing on the ocean. It's, you know, traditional songs. It was such an amazing experience. Like, I don't know who you will, who who wouldn't be incredible to, but particularly as Indigenous people coming from the desert to visit the ocean with the Mashpee Wampanoag. 
Um, we also got to meet with the Newton Indigenous Peoples Day Council, which is in the town of Newton, um, which is where the famous Heartbreak Hill is on, um, and kind of talk about what they're doing to increase the visibility of Indigenous people in Boston in general, but particularly in the town of Newton, where Heartbreak Hill is famously named, you know, everyone knows the name Heartbreak Hill, but they don't always know the history of it. Um, and so Heartbreak Hill, for those of you who don't know, was actually named um, after uh, inter an interaction that happened between John Kelly, who was a Boston local, and uh, Tarzan Brown, Tarzan Elliot Brown. Um, and John Kelly, the Boston local, was, or I should say Elliot Tarzan Brown was ahead of him. And then John Kelly came up behind and was like, better luck next time, chap. And like patted him on the on the shoulder. <laughs> and Tarzan Brown is an indigenous runner. I think the he's the first indigenous runner to win Boston Marathon. And so he was like, not, not cool with uh, being told that. And actually then went ahead and passed John Kelly on the Heartbreak Hill, which is why it's called Heartbreak. It's John Kelly's Heartbreak, but it's <laughs> Elliot Brown's victory, which I think is so important to talk about. And so this Indigenous Newton's Day Council is actually trying to get a statue to recognize that piece of history. So there's just amazing parts of the experience. I know I've gone on some side tangents, sorry, but I get so no. excited because it was such an amazing part to get to run in the marathon itself, um, but also get to kind of support and foster this next generation of Indigenous champions. No, I think that the tangents are great. It's all part of the the story. I mean, we had talked before. This is part of the reason I wanted to have you on because I thought it was such an amazing thing, you know, being able to see the stories and, and you know, on Instagram and, and see some of the, the videos and just, you know, a, a, as you said, kind of an, as an outside observer, kind of see what they were seeing and, and the excitement of it. And, you know, like you said, I mean, being being someone who comes from the Southwest, and you go up to New England area, like the, the the Northeast, like it is, it's night and day, all the water and the green. And it's just, it, it's, it's almost like something you, you've never experienced. And to be able to take kids out there to that, who, who may not have experienced that before. And, and then the, you know, just the atmosphere of, of a different type of city like Boston is so much different than, Albuquerque, then Phoenix, Tucson, like it's just, it, you you can't describe it. And, and to be able to be there and, and have them experience that and then all the other things that, you know, the the other native aspects of it. I mean, what, what you guys were able to do is just awesome. <laughs> yeah. And I definitely want to, um, if any of your listeners end up going and running the Boston Marathon, I definitely want to challenge you to go and visit the Moshpee Wampanoag Museum because I think it's such an important part to understanding that experience of the Boston Marathon itself is also, you know, re reflecting on the history that we've all been taught in school and how different that is when you actually visit. You know, like um, they had a great display about Squanto, which I think in many of our school systems we were taught about. And like for them, they actually saw him as a traitor, you know, so just those kinds of pieces. But, you know, also to speak to your point about visiting and seeing um, Boston through the eyes of these youth, one of them, <laughs> I just remember laughing because we were walking around, he was like, gee, like people are really cut off from nature here. Like there's no nature. And just like, and I was like, yeah, like I definitely see that what he's saying. You know, he's like, I can't even see the stars at night. Like how do people live here? <laughs> and I was like, oh, this is probably not the place he's going to go to college. But it's so important that he got that experience to see it in that capacity. And, um, you know, another point, like another student was just like, oh, I thought like, People say like Navajo are everywhere, but I don't see any Navajo here, you know, <laughs> just like yeah, those kinds of reflections, I think, are so important to figuring out where we're going to be comfortable or what we want in the world. You know, there were some students who were like, this is so cool and so different from home. And I like want to come out here, you know, and um, that's how we grow and how we figure out what we're going to what we want to do, because idealized versus actualized are quite different. Right, right. Well, and, and kind of on your point, you know, going and, and visiting the museum and, and seeing this, you know, the other perspective, I think for some people, even just kind of realizing like they're still there, you know, they're not gone, which I think can be something that comes up a lot like, oh, yeah, that was something that happened a long time ago. And, 
you know, we wiped them out or we did, you know, like this other perspective that we, again, don't always hear like what happened after. Right. Or I think like often history talks about like native people just like disappeared. But like, actually, like we're still here. We're very much still here. And so also, you know, that's why I think why I'm also challenging everyone to go out and visit these museums or any place that you race and learn about the history from the indigenous people who have survived and continue to thrive in those places. Um, Because it really helps us, one, like figure out how to be a better steward when we visit places by learning from the indigenous people, but also reflect on the places that we come from and maybe the visibility or invisibility of the communities in which we represent. Absolutely. Um, So you talked about, you know, how the kids did in their 5k. How was the marathon for you? Yeah, the marathon, it was interesting. So that was like my first race post pandemic. Um, And I also did the marathon with a little bit more meaning. So I actually dedicated each mile to examples of the land back movement, which is broadly the movement to regain management in land, um, indigenous peoples and i think a lot of people here like land back and kind of have scary notions of what it means like the indians are all taking our land (laughs) but actually there's a lot of really great examples of um environmental organizations and uh, land conservation groups like partnering with tribal nations or wealthy people giving back their land that maybe their families obtained in questionable capacities or even industry, you know, returning land back to tribal nations. So I really wanted to highlight that with each mile. And so I wore a skirt that said land back. And um, I had my shirt that had all the examples I was highlighting and how many acres and what states they were in. But, you know, wearing a skirt that says land back um, in Boston on Patriots Day was a lot. (laughs) And some people cheered and were like, hell yeah, land back. And some people were like, not stoked about it. Um, But at the end of the day, like running through Boylston Street and hearing waves of land back after I've been speaking with tribal nations throughout um, the Northeast was just such an incredible experience. And knowing that this is the kind of example I'm setting for these future leaders was everything and totally worth it. Um, if you care about time, <laughs> I didn't have the, I didn't like do great in terms of time. I like, I didn't hit my goal, but I was under four hours. So that was great. I think the experience itself um, definitely highlighted to me that I am way more of a trail runner than I am a road runner. Um, you know, there's a lot of interesting like logistics of such a huge race, you know, 30,000 people who are racing. And so you get there so early and then you wait for a long time and just enough time for you to get really hungry and really thirsty and then you start <laughs> running. So that was just not as, and, and the pa- so much pavement, like that was just not the environments that I'm as comfortable in. But again, I would never replace that experience. I'm so thankful to have had the opportunity to do so and um, to do it in such a meaningful and intentional way with those prayers that I was carrying for land back um, and for tribal nations to continue to thrive. Irreplaceable, absolutely. And that's great. I mean, there's definitely an aspect like there's the, again, like, oh, I wanna, I wanna finish. I want to finish fast. I want to do that. But I, I think when you're carrying something else, you know, like this, it, it can have more meaning even than, than a time goal for sure. And probably helped with kind of some of that, like you're talking about, like you wouldn't ex- replace that, that experience, but had you gone out there by your own, by yourself and just doing it for you and, and had kind of the same, time it would have been completely different but because all of these other experiences all these other parts of it you know it's time isn't always the most important thing it's fun but it's not always the 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 main shouldn't always be the main goal i guess yeah and i'm not gonna lie i was pretty tired like chaperoning yeah. <laughs> if you're not used to having a bunch of like high school kids like man they really test my energy <laughs> so um, i'm not i'm not blaming them by any means yeah. but i was just like that was a factor that was not part of my training was like staying up late to be cool with the high school kids you know um <laughs> well, and, and spending a spending a bunch of time being a tourist walking around probably isn't the best thing before a marathon either, <laughs> so. yeah. but it was part of what makes that experience so incredible is that you know, you're, you run for more than just yourself. Um, 
And now I'm excited to see some of them become some Boston Marathon champions, you know. That would be that would be great. I would love to love to see that. I mean, there's definitely be there's definitely been some very good wings runners who have come out and done amazing things. So, oh, we have covered quite a bit so far, <laughs> but that's good. I'm excited. Uh, you know, you just recently were crewing at Western States. Um, what was that experience like? Yeah, that was amazing. Um, so as everyone knows, Western States is the longest, most enduring 100 mile race. Um, it happens, it starts in what is now known as Palisades, but used to be uh, named a derogatory term for women, just recently changed its name. Um, and then ends in Auburn, California. And so I had the, the privilege of being part of the crew team um, for Yataka Starfields, who is an Osage um, runner based out of Oklahoma. And he was running, um, sponsored by Goo um, and the Rising Hearts um, organization. And they, Goo basically was like, we want to support having a more diverse starting line. And they're working with Rising Hearts running on Indigenous lands initiative. And so part of that meant for the first time ever, Western states had a land acknowledgement. Um, they wow. had a whole discussion uh, with the, it's the Washoe tribes, traditional homelands um, that, that Western states takes place on. And so they had a whole discussion about the history of that land and, you know, why that particular name of the valley was so problematic because it basically celebrated the slaughter of like women and children. Um, and also just like the history of the Western States trail itself. It used to be a trout trading route for acorn and, and medicinal plants. So like what a way for runners to think about the trails that they're about to engage in, in such a deeper capacity. Um, we also had a lovely panel um, kind of just about like indigenous running, which I moderated. Um, and then part of the crew was also Craig Curley, who's a, a very noted, very decorated uh, Dene runner. He's been in marathon trials several times. Um, Brian Williams, who's the Cherokee Nation, and then um, Jordan Marie Daniels, who runs the Rising Heart Initiative. So just such a great crew to be there um, and to have these conversations, but also to support Yataka um, and, and watch him achieve his goal. He was hoping to hit, I think, 24 hours, and he was a little bit over. Uh, it was a very hot day, um, but, you know, he got that belt buckle, and that's, like, <laughs> the biggest, the most important part about all, right, is that he got his belt buckle. And, yeah, I mean, I think that was my first time crewing such a big race like that. And there are definitely a lot of logistics um, compounded by having our fur, fur children, our dogs with us, <laughs> um, which are not allowed on the course, so definitely recommend people not bringing their dogs. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but it was such a, an incredible experience just in like seeing all these professional athletes that you like follow and getting to see them. That was really cool. I mean, the logistics and the heat and like, you know, you have to be like basically a, a race car pit station when your runner comes in and act fast, cool them down as quickly as possible, get them changed, get them fueled up and get them to go. And so I think that part was really just like, I, I know many people like crew big events like this. I have not. And so, <laughs> um, but then like getting, I got to do on the final eight miles with Yataka um, and cross all of us cross the track together with him and just like such immense joy. And, you know, during that section, the last eight miles, um, you know, crossing No Hands Bridge, I was like, oh my God, Yataka, like, remember, you're doing this for every native runner who hasn't had the chance to officially do this, you know? And he was like, yeah, this is like, because I also paced him last summer um, in the Ure 100, which was his first 100 miler. And he was like, that was so much easier compared to this, which I don't think it was, I don't know, personally. <laughs> but like, I'm not, I didn't do the whole race, right? But he was like, I, I think after this, like, I'm pretty much done with hundreds, but you should totally do this, but I'm done with 100 milers. And I was like, okay. And then the next day he was like, okay, I'm not done yet. I still have to do the Hard Rock 100 and UTMB. And I was like, yeah, that's what I thought you would say. And I remember telling him when we were running in that last section, like, we'll see how you, what you say tomorrow. But like, you know, coming up through Roby Point, and then after that, it's just like downhill into town. You start to see your people and you start getting people running with you. Like, it's just such an incre incredible experience. 
and it does make me kind of want to do it. Um, <laughs> you know, being from the desert, I think maybe I'll be okay for the heat. But yeah, you know, we, we need a we do need a our first Native woman uh, champion to finish that. So we'll see what happens in the future. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, it's 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 you know funny these two things I'm talking to you about are you know you have Boston, which is like one you know one of the marathon majors like some like people it's it's on a pedestal i'm gonna run boston i want to qualify for boston and then western states kind of on the same side of it on the ultra world and you've been able to experience both and and both in a very unique way where not only are you either running it or supporting someone but kind of this bigger part to it whether you're mentoring youth or you're being a part of this panel to try to educate people like that's pretty amazing place that you're in yeah i mean i think i've been very fortunate you know very fortunate and blessed but i think it's part of this bigger movement and coalition building of so many indigenous runners who have recognized that our cultures have always been runners um we've always been part of this sport but we haven't been represented in it and so I think each of us are wanting to support one another as we navigate this outdoor industry um, and as we navigate these kind of elite spaces and create space for one another and share our experiences with one another. And so, you know, having seen Yataka finish the 100 miler and kind of taking notes on what worked and what didn't work. So either he does, it, you know, another native runner, like we were talking a lot, like Craig Curley, you're next, man, you gotta do this next. <laughs> uh, but like really, you know, knowing and learning from one another and how to do so. And I think in the process also having these conversations like with different outdoor companies um, and sponsors, you know, and that question was like, how do we diversify the finish line? How do we, like, when are we gonna have a Washoe champion run Western states, right? And, and win in his homelands. That is what I see as the goal. And it, it's very fascinating to be at Western States and you see someone like Cody Lynn, who his family is like a legacy, right? His dad was, his grandpa was a doctor for Western States. And knowing that there are these, some communities have really been brought up in this and other people have kind of been his, historically excluded. And that includes like Washoe tribe, not being allowed to go to the areas that Western States race once was on because of racist practices. And so all of us together are having these really hard and heartfelt conversations together and with um, allies who want to better address these issues into the future. Um, and it's a lot of it's a lot of hard work as much as it is like physical work to be there. But I think um, that's how we make our the sport better. That's how we make our communities better is by doing this work. And so, yeah, I feel very blessed to have been part of it. And again, I'm just really excited to support some champions, indigenous champions in the future. I, I'm right there with you. And it's, you know, anybody who maybe isn't in this kind of world, I mean, just following Lydia, who will, you know, have your links on the bio and everything. But I mean, Native women running, Native women cycling, the Rising Heart, Swings of America, like it is... You, you get to know a lot of kind of what's going on and 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 how to kind of these get involved in these movements and try to do different things which again it, it's it's pretty amazing to see you know again we kind of talked about kind of how some of the things piles on and you can kind of see these other movements of like well no i want to be a part of this i want to help out with this and how can i you know do things to to progress things in in the way i want to see them really Right. And I think that's really important to note that like the, a lot of these opportunities wouldn't happen without the powerful work of allies as well. Right. So like Goo had this position, a, a position to have an, an athlete run and they chose specifically to pick to work with Rising Hearts and to have a native runner. And Magda Boulay, you know, a really big advocate. I've already mentioned her once. I'm fangirling a really <laughs> big advocate of like making sure that she can kind of give us support throughout that race to be there. And to be the first one to hug Gattaca when he finished, the, the, you know, across the finish line. And the same thing with Boston, like the Boston Athletic Association, really working with Wings of America to create those spaces and capacities. I think that's like such an important piece of this is like re recognizing that whatever privileges you might have or capacities to create these spaces, 
to be able to support us supporting our own communities is, is such an important piece of that. Um, and so, again, just really eternally grateful for that kind of work. Right. And I mean, like with anything, I mean, we talk about it so much in running. I mean, especially when you talk about high school runners where you are bringing in your teammates and you want it to be a team and everybody's better because of the team. I mean, that's that's kind of what this bigger movement is about. The more we're all together and helping each other out, the better it's going to be for everybody, really. Right. I think that's like one of the things I love about ultra running is that community, right? It's like, we all know how hard it is to get across the finish line, or maybe you are just stuck in the pain cave and like, <laughs> you were just like ready to crawl up in a ball and vomit. <laughs> and then it's like someone who just comes by and they don't even know that they're saying that encouraging words that help get you moving forward. And I think that's why, you know, I hope we're going to talk about footprints running later yeah. on, but I think it's, it's these pieces that I really think about if anyone's going to change the world in a positive capacity, it's runners who get up at four in the morning to run 20 miles for fun, you know, because we just have this unshakable compassion and ethic that I think the world needs more of. Absolutely. And, and actually, I, I, I did want to talk about footprints, because it's kind of one of the next things you kind of have going on, we were just talking about it now. And hey, I'll, I'll let you explain what it is. Because when you were telling me about it, I'm like, this, this is amazing. I, I love this idea. Yeah, so footprints running is a running camp hosted really the, the brainchild of Dakota Jones, who is was a Team Solomon runner. Um, and basically, it's this idea notion that let's use our love for running um, to protect the places that we recreate on and specifically to address climate challenges. And so um, Footprints Running Camp is a week long camp up in the San Juan Mountains in Silverton. And in the morning, we go for gorgeous, awe-inspiring runs. And in the afternoon, we ha have discussions around climate science. Um, and then also we work with the campers who've all applied with specific ideas of projects that they want to implement in their home community um, to address climate, climate or social justice issues. And so last year was the first year of the camp after like a three year delay because of COVID. Um, and it was amazing. The projects ranged from wanting to address harmful algal blooms in one's community or starting a rooftop garden for their college or there was actually a student from New Mexico, uh, Nemo, who wanted to just create a video series of really gorgeous places to run to get more um, New Mexico youth into the outdoors, right? And he was like, I grew up in Albuquerque and everyone like grows up like crapping on Albuquerque. But like then when I started running, I saw like how amazing it is. And I want other people to have that kind of community pride and appreciation and ability Right. Because like ability to be able to go out to these places is a, a burden to some community members. Right. And so being able to create this video series. And so that's what he's working on. Um, and so when people come to the camp itself, they have an idea. And then throughout the week, we kind of problem shoot the idea. Some people completely change their projects, which is what happened in Nemo's case. Um, some people like my camper, Abby, who had, was doing working on harmful algal blooms, we tightened her project so that it wasn't as expansive and more achievable. And then look at, you know, what kind of, who do you need to talk to? Where do you need to get funding to make this happen? And so I think that's just a really amazing capacity. And we give the campers the tools to go home and put their projects into action. That is amazing. Like I said before, I mean, just giving people an idea of like where to start you know, paring it down, you know, you've got this big idea, okay, let's, let's get it smaller. So we can actually, what can you achieve and, and who to go to and how to fund like, because there's so many people, I think, who have ideas, but they don't know where to even begin. It's just this big thing that becomes like, this is too big, I don't know what to do. So it gets dropped. Right. It gets so overwhelming that you just like let it go. Yeah. And so I think that's the great idea. The great part is that people come in with a general idea, which helps us as the mentors really figure out how do we problem shoot? What are the things that we want to talk about beforehand? Um, and the other part is that you just bond so much with people over a week running. We live, we live in this like eco hut um, up in the mountains that's like solar paneled and has composting toilets and eat all vegan, which is a challenge for me. 
Um, but I think really great, just a challenge. Um, you know, we bathe in the river and like, so some people aren't as into that, but it was, <laughs> I mean, I think like, as we're talking about living sustainably, these are the same types of things that you get pushed and challenged on. Right. Um, and it's a beautiful, just a, such a beautiful experience to have that time together. Um, and I think, you know, from that, just so many richer friendships as we support one another in their various projects and goals. Um, yeah, so it's a really amazing camp. And I just will say that for any of your listeners, it's open to all ages. So definitely make sure you follow Footprints Running Camp um, social medias, um, because I do think that a variety of ages and experiences um, lived and running experiences is really important. You don't have to be an ultra runner. Like there are some people who just came to hike um, and some people who were like getting ready to do the trans Rockies, you know? So you have that whole spectrum and there's so much beauty in that whole spectrum. Uh, absolutely. And I think there's something to be said about, you know, being able to be with like-minded people, you know, for a week and just kind of bonding, even if your ideas you know, what your goals are and aren't exactly the same that, you know, the bigger goal overall is, is similar and it, it, it can be very, um, uh, affirming in, in what you're doing. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think also just part of it, like one of the reasons why I'm a camp men camp mentor for it is because my research, um, my PhD research and background is I'm a soil scientist and I, I study mining reclamation and, one of the things that's so cool about that camp is you're in Silverton, Colorado, which is a huge mining town. So we actually get to talk about mines and then run through them, right? And like get to point out to people the different various things that we're seeing in our ecosystem. And what I love about it is that then people go back home and they're like, send me pictures. They're like, look, at, I saw a mine today and I thought of you. Or like, now I know what I'm actually looking at. And the same thing is said for one of my, one of my other colleagues, Moira, um, Moira Hugh, who is a um, carbon science, soil scientist. And so she talks a lot about climate change and carbon sequestration and like then points it out in this, in the, our runs. And I think that part of learning in place is just the most kind of powerful, impactful change that and learning that we can do. That's not in a classroom looking at PowerPoints. I mean, there is that piece, but it's learning through our footsteps, right? And how we can better engage with our ecosystems every run. Right. Right. And, we talk about in the education world, we talk so much about uh, the different types of learners and, and you have the people who can learn just from, you know, reading a paper or seeing some slides and reading the textbook or whatever, but most people need and crave really that, that extra hands-on, you know, portion of it. And so being able to run through and, and see these things and talk about these things and, and knowing what you're looking at is, so important in just the the process of learning something for so many different people. Absolutely. And I know I've been talking a lot about the science, but the other part that I think is so important is we also have um, workshops, you know, people doing an elevator pitch about their project. So, okay, give your talk to a city council person, give your talk to a classroom, you know, like give practice working on that. Um, we film the students and like, you know, those types of things that I think are also really important. Like I'm an academic, so I got trained on that work a lot, but most people don't, right? And it's really uncomfortable to try to sell someone an idea, but that's part of what it, unfortunately, for better or for worse, if we want to get our projects further supported, we have to be doing. And so I just think that those are all really powerful pieces of this, pro this camp. And um, yeah, I hope that your audience does take a look because I think New Mexico in particular is really at the crux of a lot of these climate issues and challenges. Um, you know, I love, I grew up in New Mexico. It's, it's always going to be my home. Um, I live and breathe green chili and, <laughs> but our New Mexico is being so heavily impacted by climate change. And we see this summer with just the massive amounts of forest fires, right. That right. are having not, have not permitted us to be able to run so many of our beloved trails um, and have major impacts to our state economy that we have to be addressing climate change, no matter whatever our passions are, but particularly as runners, it's, it impacts our air quality, impacts our soil, our water quality, and our even our quality of running. Right. Well, I, I mean, just, you know, this massive fire that takes out so many 
trees and, and it's so devastating to the wildlife, the people and everything there. And, and, and that, that, that's kind of almost secondary thing is thinking like, well, this, there was a lot of trails in there and how, how far can you really realistic, realistically hike in as temperatures are rising and now you have these large places that may not have tree cover and you're in, you know, heat and being able to explore now this area is going to be, you know, so much harder for a lot of people as well. Just, just that impact as well. Or even just the, the potential for flash flooding happening yeah. after, right? Oh, yeah. Like it's monsoon season now. And so a lot of the trails still haven't opened up because of the flash flood risks. Mm-hmm. And I just want to point out, you know, two years ago in Arizona, three generations of a single family were killed by a monsoon flash flood. Right. And just people not knowing or not even maybe not listening. I don't remember what the case was and still went out hiking and lost three generations of a family. And so it is like it is why we have to be working responsibly with our forest service to to think about these places and really respect those policies um, to, to not only our own personal health, but also the ecological health. Um, after a rainstorm, after a big firestorm, you get what we call hydrophobic soils. So the soils are completely charred and they can't absorb the water that happens. So that's what causes these massive, um, massive monsoon and flash floods that happen because it is good that we're getting water, but it, if it can't absorb, the soil can absorb it and it's not going to be fostering seed mixes. So we have to be really um, thinking about what kind of alternatives we can do to protect our ecosystems long term. Um, and that also, you know, is thinking about what our impact as runners on these burned areas might be having. Right. Well, and that's, I mean, I always knew, you know, after a big fire, there was that risk for the flash flood. And we've already seen those coming through and, and people in northern New Mexico having to deal with the fire. And then all of a sudden now they're filling up sandbags and, and this and that. But I didn't know that scientific piece of what happens to the soil. So thank you for that. <laughs> yeah, it's really interesting, right? Like hydrophobic means it doesn't absorb water. Right. And so um, that whole piece is like really interesting and really not well understood of like, how do you help increase the soil absor- absorption other than like adding compost amendments or like you said, um, there's actually some really cool technologies using seed balls. And I personally would love to do some experiments like working with runners and and just throwing seed balls out in our runs right and i think like again runners can be part of the solutions um we can use our passions for exploring very far and long distance places in a a term or a use of good as well as um yeah i would say just in a a good sense (laughs) (laughs) i i i i agree i think there's so much you know good in being able to to run for causes, but, you know, running while you're helping something as well. I think that the, I, I think you'd get a lot of people willing to, to do that. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> and so um, I guess kind of on that, you have something else going on. Uh, we'll run for soil. Yeah. Um, so we'll run for soil is a project I did, you know, you obviously can hear I like to run and I yep. love soil. <laughs> so like, why not let's like put these two passions together, right? Um, and so it, it's interesting that at a science conference, um, these two soil scientists who I was following on Twitter, we all happen to be at the same conference. And normally at conferences, you know, people have like happy hours or stuff, which is an okay to meet and bond with people. But I'm a runner. I love bonding with people over running. And it happened to be that these two other soil scientists also felt that way. And they put out a shout like, hey, we're going to go for a run. Does anyone want to join Meet at this place in the morning? And so I did. And we started talking um, and really hit it off. And then as we were like finishing up their run, they're like, yeah, we really want to do like this project where like you run and, and like study soil. And I was like, that sounds like all my favorite things. How do I sign up? <laughs> And they're like, yeah, I don't know about you. <laughs> but I just like kept on pestering and like, it also just really aligned with some of the things I was interested in working on, you know, running for my PhD work, running this um, this particular mountain that was about to be impacted by mining and, and just um, kind of running, connecting running with my scholarship. And so I think we just started to see enough of an overlap that we got together on some Zoom calls initially and then in person. 
and plotted out this 135 mile route starting in Nuclea, Colorado and ending in Moab, Utah um, with a film team and basically ran over six days this route um, in the desert. It was really hot. I got the worst blisters of my life. Um, but I saw so many beautiful soils and part of the whole film project itself is to give the public the language to talk about soils, to see soils, um, because people can't care about what they don't see, right? And as runners, that's one of the things we interact the most with is soil, right. but we often degrade it and call it dirt, which is my personal pet peeve. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, I so, I so that's like really what this project is. And if people wanna learn more about it, um, you can find us on, on Instagram at will run for soil. Um, and more broadly, just kind of posting nerdy soil things, but we will have a film. We, we already did the run. Um, and now we're just working on getting the film together as well as some educational content to go like handouts and things like that to go with the film itself. Well, that's awesome. And I will make sure that with my team, I don't say we're going to go run that dirt trail. We're going to run that soil trail from now that's on. That's right. <laughs> well, okay. So <laughs> let me go in a little more nuance. Like some people still call it dirt and like ask what's the difference between dirt and soil. Well, dirt is displaced soil. And there's like a lot of caveats and what that can mean. But anyways, <laughs> it is well run for soil. Um, so. <laughs> <laughs> oh, like anything in academia with so many caveats. And <laughs> I know, I know, we're just a hard bunch. But again, I think of this also just part of it is like getting people to see and, and appreciate and, and see the creativity. So we also, one of the things that we do is do a lot of art projects with soil, paint, making paint pigments, or even just like looking at the different colors of soil systems. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a cool project. I'm really excited mm -hmm. for it. And it was a really fun, hard adventure. Um, yeah, it was really fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, you know, kind of on, on, on dirt and soil, it is, I was just driving up to Santa Fe today, actually. Uh, well, I went yesterday too, but, and it, it's been so dry, you know, we can talk about the drought and that, but it, it was, it's, it's been so brown, you know, I just keep, I'm like, ah, oh, man, all that dirt out there, all that dirt. And then after coming up, after getting some of these rains and the monsoons coming in and and how much green popped up in the, since the last time I've, I've gone that way, you know, it really is like, it may just look like dirt, but there really is soil. There's stuff in there and it just needs that, that moisture to take off. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's super interesting, right? Like living in the, I live in the Sonoran desert. So our soil has like an annual saturation of like 3%. Um, super dry. And then I was in North Carolina and there like their soil is 40% saturation. And so it's like interesting when you think about something like mining and like how do we repair ecosystems from major degradation? Well, you need water. Water is a really big piece of that. And so what does that mean as our climate is increasing in aridity, right? What does that mean for the future of our ecosystems after a big fire happens? I think this is why it's so important that we all have that public awareness, but also continue to invest and support science practices that help us repair ecosystems. Nice. And that's my little science piece. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's great. <laughs> uh, and, and so, you know, shifting kind of towards the end of October, you're doing the Havelina hundred, uh, through native women running, I believe. Yes. I'll be a part of their team. Awesome. And the, we were talking beforehand, you haven't decided if you're going to do the hundred K or the hundred mile. Um, you obviously just helped someone get through a hundred mile. Arizona is a little bit different. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think the Heavenly Night hundred is interesting. I haven't, it hasn't been, I mean, it's a very widely popular race, um, has a really fun scene to it, right? Like the photos, our Vipa puts on amazing events and the photos of it, it's kind of like a party race in a lot of ways. And it's not like the typical kind of race that I like to do. I like to do these mountain runs, um, in beautiful places that inspire me. Like the Tishar's marathon is like one of my favorites or, you know, the Taos, um, the Kachina Peak marathon, also a huge favorite. Cause like beautiful places that inspire you to finish. 
but I think the opportunity to, to run with the Native women running here in Arizona is also really amazing. I just think that the part that's really hard for me is running in circles, <laughs> right? Like everyone knows the longer you stay in an aid station, like the less likely you are to finish. And this one, like you keep checking in and you keep on, it's like a little hamster wheel. And that part makes me really uncomfortable. So I don't know. I don't know if that's going to be my first hundred mile area or not. I'm going to kind of see how training goes. Um, it also, you know, I'm training in the Tucson summer right now. So <laughs> it's surprisingly humid for us here about, you know, yesterday, today was 26, yesterday was 70% humidity. Um, and it's the coolest it gets is like 78 degrees. So it makes it really challenging to train. Um, but I don't know, like being able to do with a, an awesome team of native women and like running and finishing together, I think is such a powerful aspect and it is such a fun race. So these are the things I am debating. I'm definitely welcome to people's insights. I have an awesome coach, um, who's kind of working with me as I, kind of gravel with this, this decision, you know, this year has just been a really big running one for me as well. So, um, yeah, we'll see. <laughs> it's so, it's so funny. You, you, you talk about doing a 20 mile loop, you know, running on a hamster wheel, the same way I have some high school cross country runners talk about running on a track for 400 meters. <laughs> Well, it's all a frame of reference, right? It's all a scale you want to talk about. <laughs> right. But, it, but it, uh, Go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, I mean, it, but it is. I mean, once you're coming through, I've already been here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then you're like, oh, I have to go three more times. Oh, that same rock. I don't know. But then it's like such a big event. And I've, I will be honest, I've actually never attended or crewed anyone there. I've had lots of friends who've done it over the years and it's just like not something I've done because again, it wasn't something that was particularly appealing to me. Just like historically I've watched friends run Western days, but it's never been like a race that I'm gunning for. Um, but the world works in mysterious ways to push you towards things that you never anticipate. Right. right. <laughs> so I don't know, I guess that's a TBD. One thing I'm always interested in is, you know, because you have done some longer endurance stuff, if not, you know, something specifically like this, do you have specific foods or gels or anything that work well for you? Yeah. I mean, I think for, for me, it's, uh, you have like plan A, plan B and plan C, okay. right? So I like, I'll start with like goose and they're fine. And then like, after a while, I just like can't handle sweetness. Um, and I have found, especially during the, the run in, um, on the paradox trail, the fertile run for soil, it was so hot that I just like, couldn't handle eating any more sweet things. Um, and I went through both goo and spring energy, which I absolutely love spring energy, but I just couldn't handle those anymore. And so I actually started Trader Joe's has these little olive packets. Oh yeah. Um, and I like so I carried those and that's like one of my favorite things when it's really hot is I just like the salt and the fats in them. Um, so yeah, those are like some of my favorite nutrition things. And you know, the other thing I found during will run for soil is like, I love quesadillas and Coke. Um, <laughs> As I also, I love, like, I'm not a big bacon person. I know some people really like bacon when they're running and that just like makes me not feel good. So yeah, um, it's going to be interesting. And yeah. I guess the, the last like little plug that I will mention is I haven't run, um, I haven't raced these distances before. I've like done them in like adventure runs, like we'll run for soil. We talked about going a soil scientist pace, which meant like you're stopping and looking at soils the whole time. And um, for my PhD graduation, since I was the class of 2020, I did like a 50 mile honor run, um, which is a little film that Patagonia made about it. But like, those are all kind of at my own pace. And so I think the racing piece is a different one too. It's not been how I typically run. I much more run for like enjoyment or for experience than like racing. Um, and so Boston was kind of my first foray back into that. And it's a hard piece, like also to add, right? Even if it's just like really against yourself, it is a, I mean, it's part of the fun for some people, but I think maybe less, mo more for myself. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, th I think there's definitely, 
people, whether it's it's the local 5K or you know a, a ultra marathon, who are always going to do it for I, I'm going to see how fast I can do this or how how well I can do this, and then there's the other group that kind of do it more for I I just want to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so it can be I think it can be a hard shift in either direction when you're when you're kind of more used to one yeah and i think it's really great that this is a sport where you can have so many different reasons and motivations for doing this sport and all of those are in part included in part of that experience right um i don't know if i'll like again i said like that in high school that was like in college that was all my motivation and as i've gotten older i'm like go ahead, young bucks, like, (laughs) that's just not me anymore. But like, I'm gonna be the nerdiest person out here and tell you all about the soils I see, (laughs) you know, and so I don't know, it's a it's a fun process. I'm just really thankful to have found this love of sport. Since you're already going with a group, do you guys have like a crew that's working for all of you? Or are you each gonna have your own? Yeah, so we're gonna have a a little tent that's like team native woman running and um one of the the crew captain for my 50 mile run uh Sergio Avila who's a I call he's my like Tucson uncle um he's gonna be kind of the team captain and Berna um, Bulkner who's also again native woman running right. she's also gonna be running the 100 miler and so we'll have uh, a pretty solid crew I think there and if people want to come by and say hi and give us high fives and cold cokes like please come by and say hi to us um it'll be a really fun adventure that's that's awesome and i i'm i'm excited to to hear how that goes i'm excited to um hear how footprints uh training group goes um the training camp all of that stuff like you've got some exciting stuff coming up, which is really cool. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. And yeah, again, I just want to encourage listeners for them or their family members to apply um, and integrate those passions. And my personal message for people, I know we're kind of wrapping up here is just like, make sure you take some time to go outside and appreciate the soils that you step with, you know, that we depend on. Um, If anything, if any mission I have these days, it's really to help people see soils and appreciate them. Because when you see them, you can start to protect and love them. Um, particularly our fire-damaged soils of northern New Mexico. So, yes. yeah, thank you. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think that's a great place to kind of wrap up. Um, so I'll ask you the last thing I ask everybody, and that's, you know, what are you listening to to kind of get you pumped up, get you ready to get out on a long training run or sit down and, write out some slides for a presentation? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I guess it depends on what the mood I'm going for. You know, if I'm wanting to um, run on pure anger, then I just listen to anything about uh, any political podcast these days about the Supreme Court decisions. Uh, But um, if I'm wanting to like get pumped up and be in a happy space, it's always the Spotify channel of Lizzo, you know? because she just makes me want to dance while I run. So that's kind of the, the spectrum. <laughs> I hear you on that. It's uh, I, I sometimes put on the wrong podcast when I'm running <laughs> an easy run and like, oh, I should have, should not have listened to that right now because now I just want to break something. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I think the other part too is I love, I like, I like running with my phone because sometimes I'll have my most biggest eureka moments mid run and have to record it on there. So that's the other good part. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, so uh, thank you again for your time. Um, this was a lot of fun. I think we covered a lot of good stuff, which I, I'm. That's always the goal. But I'm I'm glad you were able to talk about some of these things that you you've done, are currently doing, getting ready to do, and people can hopefully follow you and and learn more. And if you aren't following you know, native women running as well to kind of learn about some of this stuff and rising hearts, you know, all those amazing places um, do so. So thank you again. Is there anything else you'd like to say before I let you go? I think that covers it, but yeah, thank you everyone.
I'd once again like to thank my guest for their time, and thank you for tuning in. If you have the opportunity, please rate and review wherever you listen to your podcasts, or just help spread the word. Music was provided by Philip Friedman. You can follow him on SoundCloud at DJ Teach. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at RunningNM. Feel free to drop me a line or shoot me an email at runningnewmexico at gmail.com if you have any questions or know of someone who should be interviewed. In the meantime, keep running, New Mexico.